Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Amen. Y'all doing all right? Man, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, Listen, let's pray one more time and we're going to dive in and uh, see what Jesus wants to say to us. So, Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. Uh, We just simply have come here today because we want to honor you. And so, Lord, we just absolutely love you. We adore you. We we are so grateful, God, that you have saved our lives. God, we're grateful that we have a relationship with you. And so, Father, today as we pull up to your table, Lord, we come hungry. God, we come desiring to hear from you. Lord, and we simply ask that you would speak loud and you would speak clear to us today. Father, we ask, God, that you would cut through anything that may hinder us from hearing. And, God, that you you would get straight to our heart, God, and you allow your truth, God, to dig deep in our hearts, God, and produce the fruit that you desire. Father, we thank you for the anointing. We thank you for your presence in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, if you have ever read the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, then you know that it wasn't uncommon for Jesus to use a thing called a parable when he taught. Now, a parable was simply this. It's a, it's a short story that illustrates a spiritual truth. In fact, if you've been here for the past few weeks, you know that we uh, spent quite a bit of time actually talking about the first parable that Jesus ever taught, which was the parable of the sower. But this morning, uh, I actually want to turn our attention to uh, the parable that many considered to be the most popular or the most well-known parable that Jesus ever taught, and that's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so what I want to do this morning, uh, just as we uh, jump into this, is I actually want to read the entire passage from top to bottom so we can kind of get the context of it, and then I want us to kind of go back to the top and work our way through it so that we can kind of understand it. And I believe uh, that as we work our way through it, as we lean our own hearts in, as we get hungry for God, God will start talking to us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's look at it together. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. We're going to read through 37. It says, And a certain lawyer, an expert in Mosaic law, stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he replied, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this habitually and you will live. But he, wishing to justify and vindicate himself, asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied in verse 30, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he encountered robbers who stripped him of his clothes and belongings, beat him, and went their way, unconcerned, leaving him half dead. Now by coincidence, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also came down the place and saw him and passed by on the other side of the road. Verse 33, it says, But a Samaritan, a foreigner who was traveling, came upon him, and when he saw him, he was deeply moved with compassion for him, and went to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them to soothe and disinfect the injuries. And he put him on his own pack animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. It says, On the next day he took out two denarii, two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I return. And then Jesus brought home the entire parable by saying this. He says, Which of these three 
do you think proved himself a neighbor to the man who encountered the robbers? He answered, the one who showed compassion and mercy to him. Then Jesus said to him, go and constantly do the same or go and do likewise. Awesome passage of scripture, amen? All right, so let's swing back to the top. Now, let let me maybe take a moment to set the scene here. I I think uh, if we kind of get in our mind when we look at this passage, even though the Bible doesn't necessarily uh, say it outright directly, it appears like Jesus was actually in the middle of teaching a crowd of people, right? And and, and as he was teaching this crowd of people, that all of a sudden, of the smash group people, this dude stood up and he decided to interrupt Jesus by asking him a question. And so if we can, let's look at that together in verse 25 again please. It says, and a certain lawyer, an expert in Mosaic law, stood up to test him. Let's pause there. For starters, I think it's important for us to understand who this fellow was. Uh, You know, when it says that he was a lawyer, uh, it isn't isn't speaking about a lawyer in the traditional sense that you and I would know it. In other words, this guy wasn't Perry Mason or some other lawyer that's in the court of law, right? Uh, Rather, this guy, uh, as far as the scripture who is referring to, was a religious scholar or a scribe who interpreted God's law. In other words, uh, this man would have been so well-versed in all the details and intricacies of the Old Testament. And the reason is because he would have spent years and years and years of his life studying the Scriptures. And so, uh, just kind of present a question when I read this. Of course, my mind is super inquisitive. Now, I just think automatically, why in the world would this lawyer feel the need to just stand up and interrupt Jesus? It's like, you know, did he get so excited to learn from Jesus, uh, you know, that he couldn't contain himself? So he was like, oh, I got a question for you. Uh, The reality is, we obviously know reading scripture, that wasn't the case. And and here's why we know that. is because this uh, man was like many other Pharisees, many other Sadducees and scribes of that day, that he simply wanted to test Jesus, right? That, That he wanted to test him on his doctrine. He wanted to test his skills and his abilities and being able to ask a question or answer a question. And he wanted to basically see if he could catch him in his words. Don't you love those guys? So in short, this fella, kind of say this, say this, he wasn't humble and he wasn't teachable. In fact, he was extremely arrogant and his motives were really, really impure. So let's look back at the question that he used to test Jesus with. It says in verse 25, it says, And a certain lawyer, an expert in the Mosaic law, stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, listen, I don't know about you, but at face value, that looks like a great question. Like, man, if there's ever been a good question, the dude nailed it. In fact, I wish people would ask me that question because it would make my job a whole lot easier, right? <laughs> Folks just come up to me and run and ask me a question. I got you. I can tell you, okay? But, but obviously, that's not... Uh, from the position or the motive that that guy was talking. He wasn't really eager to learn from Jesus once again. And and so, in in fact, let me just say this, kind of set this up. When you actually begin to dig into uh, basically Judaism and you discover, you will discover that the Pharisees and the scribes took what we know as the Ten Commandments, it's found in Exodus chapter 10, and they expanded those Ten Commandments to 613. Like, those dudes loved rules. Right? Way more than me. Right? I hate rules. I'm not going to lie to you. Anyways, so, so that these guys literally created 603 extra commandments so that there would be one commandment for every letter that was found in the Ten Commandments. 
So watch this, but, but it didn't stop there. They actually subdivided these commandments. And they said this, that 248 were considered as positive commandments. And 365 were negative commandments. Don't you like that? You have a negative commandment for every day of the year. It's beautiful, right? So, so anyway, so then they divided them again into which ones were what? Which ones were small and which ones were great, right? And then they said, okay, which ones are light and which ones are like weighty? Which ones are heavy? Now, obviously, they determined that by which ones that were easy to follow versus which ones were harder to follow. Now, once these distinctions were established, and this is kind of why I'm saying all this, is that these Pharisees and these scribes, they actually devoted themselves to long debates and long arguments with one another so that they could decide which ones were the most important. Okay, so once again, anytime, at least in my opinion, anytime a person or a group of people spend an ample or a lot amount of time focusing on or arguing about the letter of the law, ultimately in short order, that will uh, make them become legalistic and performance oriented. Are y'all with me? Some of us have bumped into that person a time or two, right? So, and in my opinion, when it comes to this legalistic mindset and this performance-oriented mindset, that's exactly where this lawyer was at. And, and, and so I'll just say at this, that not only was this guy accustomed to a lifestyle of debating and a lifestyle of argument, but, but more importantly, from that performance mentality, I think he had already decided in his heart what he needed to do in order to obtain eternal life. And here we come to this moment, right, that the whole reason that he's testing Jesus in this is because from his arrogance, he wanted to see if Jesus agreed with him or not. I'm making sense. So now watch how Jesus responds to this man's question about eternal life. It says, Jesus said to him, what is written in the law, or how do you read it? Now, I'm not saying Jesus said it this way, but kind of the way I read that, and if I was probably Jesus, I'd have been like, you're the expert of the law, you tell me what you think, bud, right? And so, but Jesus probably wasn't like me in that, okay? But anyway, so he said, uh, you know, what is written in the law, how do you read it? Now, when I read that, to me, I go, man, that's such classic Jesus. If you notice, a question gets asked to him, and time and time again throughout the Gospels, Jesus doesn't just answer it right back. Instead, he goes, you know what? I got a question of my own to throw at you, right? So he always answers a question with the question. Now, I think he did that, yes, because he put the ball in their court. Yes, he wanted to see this guy, uh, you know, what his answer was. But I think ultimately what Jesus is getting at is it was his way to reveal and to expose what was really in this man's heart and what was really his motives for asking this question. If you're willing to say, oh, yeah. All right, so let's listen to how the lawyer responded. It said in verse 27, it says that he replied. Now, what we're about to read comes out of Deuteronomy 6, and it comes out of Leviticus 19. He responded, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. I can kind of see him at this moment being like, boom, nailed it. Right, like, like he just got it. Like, like, yes, perfect answer, right? Now, obviously, I think, Jesus probably expected him to give the correct answer. Once again, this guy wasn't just student in the law. He was an expert in the law. And so I think that, yes, he answered correctly, but he also gave an answer that Jesus wholeheartedly approved of. And we know this is true because of what Jesus said next in verse 28. It says, Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. So the guy did nail it. Good job, right? But, but watch the challenge here. And this is kind of, if you will, the, the hinge that everything in this passage of Scripture, uh, you know, turns on right here. On this one challenge from Jesus. He says this. Basically, now go and do this habitually and you will live. Like, go do it. Okay, it's good that you say love God and love your neighbor. But, bro, you need to go do it and then you'll have eternal life. So, in other words, let me just put it to you this way. 
It's like Jesus was saying, it's good that you know it, right? But you need to do it. You need to live it consistently. And, and I think we can all agree, and of course I say this quite often, it's like, gang, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where, that's where it's at, right? You, you see, even though Jesus accepted the lawyer's answer, once again, to love God with all your heart and to love people, right? Like, he still discerned in that moment that this man, like so many of us, right, was failing to actually do what he knew was right and what was expected of him. Don't shout me down. You see, the fellow, where, where this fellow was getting hung up is, is once again, where a lot of us do, and, I, and I, there's areas I would throw myself in this, is that basically this is that God's word is yet to travel from our head to our heart. Like it hasn't made that 18-inch journey, amen? So, so listen, you know, with that in mind, uh, we've all heard people say this, and you can finally finish it, that ignorance is bliss, right? Like we've all heard that, and it means this. It means that basically if we don't know something, then we don't need to worry about it. We're off the hook. Right, but but when when we actually do know something, well, that's a different story, right? Right, like, like let me just say it to you like this: um, There's times for you guys to have children, right? Like your your child will make a mistake, and you just know they didn't know better. And there's loads of grace and mercy in that moment, but it's a whole different story when you've told your child fifteen thousand times. Don't do that, and they do it again. How many of you guys know that you're not so grace and mercy oriented that now there's, there's punishment, there's discipline that comes into play? Y'all with me? Or maybe I'm just from the South here, but listen, my mama believed in that. All right? Anyways. Hallelujah. I'm surprised I still got two legs. All right. So, so at the end of the day, it's like this, is that when we know something, that's when accountability enters into the picture. And I only say that because I, I think it's that, that, that crux, that's where Jesus and this fellow was at at that moment, that he, of all people in Israel, he should have known better. Like, you don't just know it, you do it. Amen? Yeah. All right, so listen, before we move on, uh, let's just take a moment to consider this. Let's consider how many things that you and I know from the Bible, Right? And, and that we, um, how can I say this, passionately say that we believe in. Like, we believe in this from the Word of God. Like, we believe it cover to cover. Anybody with me? I believe from cover to cover, right? Front page to back page, wholeheartedly, right? Now, now, let's compare our knowledge of God's Word to the way we actually live our lives. Quietness, church. <laughs> Listen, I, I just think, man, that's, that thought, if you really think about it and you're really honest with yourself, that's pretty sobering. Like, obviously, we should continue to be moving in that, but it's still a sobering thought, right? So I just think this, it's real easy, one, yes, to give a gracious nod to a certain biblical principle and say, yes, I agree with it, amen, shout hallelujah, right? It's easy to do that. And it's also easy to tell somebody else what they should be doing. Like, we're great at that. Right? Somebody got a problem on Facebook? We got you. The Bible says... Right? It's easy to say that. Somebody comes to us or struggling, we got a verse for it, right? Once again, the difficulty is not in the knowing. The difficulty is in the application, yes? So, all right. So, let, let's turn our attention back to the lawyer. I'll help you out. We'll relieve the tension right there. Okay? It is, once again, more than likely this conversation between the lawyer and Jesus, it wasn't happening behind closed doors. Remember, the guy stood up. He interrupted. So, so it wasn't happening in private. Uh, rather, this moment, once again, because he stood up and he interrupted Jesus, he chose to make this conversation public. Uh-oh. Right? So, so I see, man, that here it is, at least in my mind, everybody's eyes and ears are, like, fixed on what's happening in front of them. It's like everybody's on the edge of their seat waiting to see what's going to happen next. 
Now, if I can kind of maybe set up what I'm about to say, uh, have you ever, you, tell me you, okay, have you ever had someone tell you something that you didn't like, but because you knew they were right, you couldn't say anything in return? If you're married, you better be shaking your head, <laughs> right? Amen. I, I, I told first service, I ain't been right in 19 years, but I'm a happy man, right? Anyway, so <laughs> I'm kidding. All right, so I, I, I'm right occasionally. Occasionally, like a tithe, like 10%. Anyway, so, <laughs> anyways, so, so I just think, man, it's like that's what just happened to this guy. Like, Jesus called him on the carpet. He knew Jesus was right. Yes? So, but clearly, here's the problem. He couldn't admit it. He couldn't admit Jesus was right. And I just think this, if he would have been honest with himself, he said, you know what, Jesus, you're right. I'm feeling pretty miserably at 11 folks. I, I am. So why don't I just shut my mouth and just kind of go sit down, pardon my ignorance, forgive me, sir, right? And let's hope to God that when I sit down, that I'm going to fade back in this crowd and everybody else will forget what just happened. I've, I've had those moments, right? And, and so, but listen, that's not what took place. Because once again, this man was full of pride. He was full of arrogance. And, and his pride and arrogance just wouldn't let him do that. In fact, he, he uh, I'll just say it this way. It's like he wasn't about to let Jesus show him up in front of the crowd. He was used to the notoriety, Right? And so, once again, also because this guy was used to debating and he was used to arguing, I'm going to say that he wasn't just going to roll over and just go, you know, I'm done. You're right. So what do you do? He pushed the envelope a touch further by asking another question, and this is key. He said this in verse 29. He says, but he, watch these next words, wishing to justify and vindicate himself. Now, I know you've never done that. I've done it once. Okay. But he, wishing to justify and vindicate himself, asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Can somebody say neighbor? And who's my neighbor, right? Now, this probably goes without saying, but clearly this fella didn't ask this question because he was somehow going, oh, wise one, teach me, you know, how to have a genuine heart to, you know, to basically to care for people. Like, he wasn't asking that. The reality is, is this dude was looking for a loophole so he could still check his religious box. That's what he was doing, right? Now, now, with that said, I also think this. I seriously doubt that this guy's question caught Jesus off guard. And I'm not saying that because he was God in the flesh. I'm saying that is because Jesus was a Jew. He was a Jew as well, and he knew that, you know, basically in the Jewish culture, the Jewish tradition, that they limited the title of neighbor only for those fellow Jews who looked like, talked like, and acted just like them. So listen, so surely Jesus wasn't surprised by this uh, man's, I'll say it this way, his reasoning, reasoning internally, uh, you know, basically that this guy, how can I say it, said he wasn't called off guard that this man had to probably be struggling, that there were certain people that he wasn't obliged to love. Hopefully that came out right. Okay, so in short, what the lawyer was asking was this, is which people do I have to love in order to get what I want? We've never done that. Listen, or we say it this way, that who can I get away with not loving? All right, so let's, let's make this personal for a moment. So I don't know about you, but I think it is real easy to sit back and read this story. In fact, I've done it many, many times over the years of reading this in Luke chapter 10 and thinking, man, this dude is a self-righteous buffoon. Like, in the words of Pastor Brian, how stupid could you be and still breathe? Right? Like, like, what is wrong this guy? But, but the reality is, is the more I read this and the more my heart gets soft to the Lord, I'm like, uh-oh, 
Like, I'm so guilty of doing the same thing, right? So here's what I mean by that. And if you can, just walk down the road with me here. Is how many times have we taken one look at a person? Looked at their clothes. Like, this person could be 30 yards off. We look at their clothes. We look at their hairstyle, the color of their skin, their nationality, and so on. And we automatically assume something. Or how many times have we had a brief conversation with a person, right? It wasn't a long one. We didn't even need to get to know. We, it just, we, we just needed a, an exchange, and we automatically just knew who they are, right? How many times have we found out, you know, what, what side of the aisle politically someone sits on or what doctrinal sense they have or what church they go to, right? Or, or learn maybe what side the tracks are from. Oh, my God, you're from Rockland. <laughs> right? Or, or literally, like, like, what they do for a living. I'm just addressing that long-standing hate there, right? That literally what bumper stickers on the car, what, what signs are in the front yard, or maybe they got in their head that, well, they must be that group of people that hates us and we hate them, right? What, what I'm getting at is this, is, man, guys, we are so quick to size people up. It's prejudice, right? We're quick to size people up. And listen, like this lawyer, we're, we're also quick to make a judgment. Please don't miss this, of who is and who is not worthy to receive our love based off of those things we just mentioned. In other words, we sit back, oh, do they meet our criteria? If you can meet my criteria, if, you can, if I can somehow check all the boxes of approval, then you can earn my love. Come on, church. See, what happens is, and once again, we've all been guilty of that, right? We've all been guilty of that. Is what happens is we convince ourselves that there must be some to whom the obligation or the requirement to love doesn't apply. And here's the foolish part of it, guys. And we somehow convince ourselves that God's okay with it. In fact, I'll say this. More often than not, we sit on the side of judgment and we think, yeah, we have the heart of God. He hates them too. I've been doing this a while. Yeah? Now, we can all quote John 3.16, but we don't believe it. I'll amen myself. <laughs> oh, we're just having fun. All right, here we go. Listen, I just think, and all I'm really getting at is, before we start throwing rocks at this lawyer in the story, maybe we should ask ourselves, who do we actually consider to be our neighbor and who do we consider to be our neighbor right is it is it only those who once again look like talk like dress like live like act like us or is it who jesus said is our neighbor watch this verse here matthew chapter 5 let's add a little meat to this Says you have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Uh oh. Says pray for those who persecute you, and that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. If we could reverse engineer that for a moment, that basically means that when we don't do that, that we're not acting like our Father in heaven. Yeah, and I say that because I think sometimes we think we are when we're really not. Okay? 
It says, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. It says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? And I'll just add, if you only love those who look like you, dress like you, act like you, so and so and so and so, what reward is there for that? It says, even corrupts tax collectors. In other words, even sinners do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? In other words, what sets you apart? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. All right, let me just add one thought here. Let me say it. This morning when I was praying before we came to church, um, like, and I want to help somebody here. It was like I heard the Lord basically say this, and I, and I haven't really ever thought about it. But, but think about this. I think so often in the, in the world today when it comes to Christianity, um, we, we are losing sight of the fact that we think that to love someone, we need to conform to someone. Right? Like, it, like if, if I'm going to love people, if I'm going to love the world, then I somehow got to conform and accept and all this. And, and I want you to know that that's, that that's not true. Let me just say it to you this way. Jesus loved the world, but he never conformed to the world. Okay, and so, and so once again, we are called according to the word of God. And you can go check it out yourself in Romans 12, verse 2, that we are, once again, we are called to love the world, not conform to the world. And so if we are mixing that up somehow, we need to get it right. Because if we're conforming, what difference are we? What, how different are we? And how can we show them the answer? Amen? So if I can just kind of reiterate what we just read in Matthew 5, I said a while ago, but John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Once again, the world, that's everybody, right? Everybody, right? The world that he gave his only begotten son. And I'll just say this, that once again, I know I'm probably sitting on this too long, but listen, that God didn't say he only loves those who believes in him and only those who follow him. Like he didn't say that. Right? He, he said he loves, once again, the world, that he loves the righteous and the unrighteous, that Jesus died for all of us. And so I, I say that to say this, if you can just grab a hold of this, is that maybe you and I as born-again believers, we need to quit looking for loopholes. We need to quit making excuses, and we need to quit rationalizing, and we need to quit withholding our love from those who we, not God, but who we deem unworthy of our love. Amen. All right, so let's pick this back up where we left off, verse 30, okay? Um, I love this because basically this is the point in the story where Jesus goes, okay, I'm about to start a parable. Once again, what's a parable? It's a, basically a brief story that shows spiritual illustration or spiritual uh, principle or spiritual truth, okay? And, and what I like about this moment, it kind of cracks me up, that once again, Jesus didn't just outright answer the question. He lets the tension and the awkwardness of the moment hang in the air. Once again, the guy's standing up, everybody's watching, and he's just like, hey, I got a story for you. Stay standing. <laughs> right? Love it. All right, so he says this. Let's look at it together. Verse 30. It says, Jesus replied, a Jewish man, obviously doesn't say Jewish, but we, we know that that's, What's insinuating? It says a Jewish man was going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And I don't want to hang here long, but listen, uh, the road to, uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, 17 or 21 miles long of her birth, both, but basically it was notorious for being dangerous and treacherous, not just because it had a 3,000-foot descent, but as most of us know, it was littered with robbers. And it goes on to say this. It says, and he, the Jewish man, encountered robbers who stripped him of his clothes and belongings. They beat him and went their way, unconcerned, leaving him half dead. 
Now, here's where things get interesting, and here's where I'm hoping that you and I will have the courage to see who we identify with from this point on, okay? Jesus goes on to say this. Now, by coincidence, coincidence, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also came down to the place and saw him too and passed by on the other side of the road. Let me pause here for a moment. Y'all doing all right? Okay. So if you can uh, imagine with me for a moment that here's this Jewish man, right? He just, man, he, he's, he's bleeding. He's, he's barely breathing. In fact, he was beat so badly. I, you know, in my head, I'm thinking this guy can hardly talk. Maybe he can grunt a little bit. Maybe he can moan a little bit. But this dude is, is busted up and he's laying in a ditch. And, and overall, man, he's feeling hopeless and he's in total despair. Once again, he is somewhere on a 17 or 21 mile stretch of road. And, and he's just thinking, oh my God, I'm going to die here. Right? And then almost out of nowhere, he looks down the road. <coughs> And he sees this figure approaching. And I think, I just see him at first thinking, oh no, it's probably another robber that's coming to finish me off. Man, I have nothing left, but, but he's probably just going to kill me, right? But, but as that figure draws closer, you know, he realizes by the, by the clothes that the guy was wearing, man, that's a priest. <laughs> Woo! Right? Like, he is so pumped. Like, his hope is revived. Man, and, you know, it's just like he, he is looking like, oh, man, Jesus, you're faithful. You done provided a, a priest for me. And you, in my time of need, you have met me. Are y'all feeling me today? Like, man, you've met me here. And I'll just kind of add this. An awkward thought. But, but if you're ever going to get mugged, like, that's the time to do it. Right before the priest walks down the road. Like, if there's ever been a time for it to happen, there's your moment, right? Because surely the man of God, the woman of God, like, they're going to help you, right? No. All right, so anyways. <laughs> it says, basically this, but, but here's what I pitched that the priest came closer, and, and the guy didn't even slow down. In fact, when he looked over there in the ditch, he, he actually kind of sped up, right? Instead of turning towards him, he created, the Bible says, created space by passing by on the other side of the road, and he didn't even speak to him. How many of y'all know that might be demoralizing? Like, your greatest moment of need and the... Right? But soon the man's hope, what, it rose again when he noticed another religious official coming down the road. And this time it was a Levite, man. It was a worship leader from his church. Right? The wounded man thought, surely, surely he's going to stop and help me. Why? Because those worship leaders, we all know, they tend to be way more sensitive than the priests. Right? They're sensitive to the Spirit. Oh, I feel the Lord moving, right? Oh, he's moving, right? So if anybody's going to be sensitive to the pull of the Lord to go help the guy in the ditch, it's, it's the man that's it's a guitar player. Like, he's going to do it, right? No pressure, right? And so, but like the priest, this Levite, what he looked, the Bible says he looked, and he saw the man lying there half dead, and he too passed by on the other side of the road. In other words, he just ignored him. And I don't know if he did what we do so often. We just think if we ignore the problem, it's going to kind of go away. But that's what he did, right? All right, so let me just say this once again to make this personal. I, I don't, you know, Jesus obviously didn't elaborate on why they didn't stop. Now, we can assume some things, and I'm going to throw a few things at you because I think they're just real life for us. And, and some of this may sting a little bit. Some of it may, whatever. Just let it land where it may land, okay? So, so listen, I think that maybe the priest and Levite, Maybe they were just rushing to lead a service. And what I mean by that is, is it wasn't a convenient time to help this guy. 
Or, or maybe they were just too busy, so they knew if they got involved with this guy, man, it would be, it would be too time-consuming. And, and, you know, after all, it's like if they chose to help this guy that's in the ditch, then, then, then who would do all the things that were on their to-do list? Like, how's all that going to get done? Or do you even think this, man, this like maybe that the, the priest and the Levite, maybe they like the leadership position more, right? They like that notoriety more than they really like serving the people. Like they love the prestige, but they didn't want to get their hands dirty, right? And so if they go over there and touch him, man, they might get a little bit of blood on their priestly robes. Like what would happen if they got blood on their clothes, right? And so maybe it's this. Maybe they thought, man, if we touch him, we'll be considered unclean and we'll be unable to perform our duties in the temple. And what I mean by that is this, is basically by denying that guy, they were in essence saying that all those people in their temple are way more important than, than, than that guy. Just a reminder, Jesus did leave the 99 for the one. Okay, but, but listen, but for some reason, those people, they, they admire my gift. So I need to go talk to them. And, you know, this guy, he, don't, you know, he really don't even know what's going on. He's, he's knocked unconscious, right? Whatever. Anyways, so, or maybe they were like this. I, you know, if I help that guy, the people are going to think that I'm associated with him. I got a reputation to uphold here, right? And if somebody finds out to help that guy, they may think we're alike. And, and I'm just kind of thinking that maybe he got what he deserved. Like maybe it's God's judgment on him. Y'all know y'all went to church with that guy. It's God's judgment. Okay, I got all kinds of jokes going in my head that I don't need to say. All right. Moving along. All right, so maybe they thought this, that, that, you know, we don't want to take that risk. You know, we do know that there's robbers all around here. And so, so that guy, you know, that could be fake blood. You know, I've watched TV before. That could be fake blood. That may not be real. You know, it may be a decoy that there's a possible ambush happening. If I help him, they're going to get on me. And so what I'm going to do is uh, for my own physical and my own emotional protection, I'm just going to hurt you on down the road. <coughs> Or maybe they did this. I'm going to pick on somebody here. Or maybe they felt like they had to rush home so they could post on Facebook what, what they just saw. Like, they need to tell everybody, like, this is what I just witnessed, right? Why? Because they recently joined this online group that stands against those things. Right? And, and so this guy, this Levite, this priest, had a rare opportunity to be a voice for the person that didn't have a voice. Let's move on. All right, here we go. Or maybe they thought this, because they're a priest or a Levite, God hears them. So, so if they would just pray for the wounded man, then, you know, as they kind of prayed for him, as they went on their way, Lord, touch him, right? Then, then maybe that would be enough. Y'all are quiet. Listen, or, or maybe they thought this. You know, in, in fact, when, when they left the church service, they knew there was another crowd coming behind them. And so they knew there was other people on the road. And maybe, you know, they just knew that somebody in that other crowd has a heart for folks in that condition. Right? And so, so thank, whew, thankfully, they're off the hook because it's hard to do something when you don't have a burden for it. Or maybe as they passed by, they just, even that worship leader, so sensitive, he just didn't feel led. I'm just talking church talk for y'all. Right? Listen, whatever the case may be, I just don't think for a second that it was a coincidence that Jesus chose the characters in this parable that he chose. The reason I say that is because the priest and the Levite not only represent the groups of people that this lawyer would have respected and associated with, uh, but they were like him in this, is that they should have known better. Amen? 
So, so I just think this. Like instead of them doing what they knew they should have done in that instance, they chose to avoid the wounded man. And why? Please don't miss this. It, to put it really simple, because they, again, like the lawyer, uh, that they too thought that this needy, dying man was unworthy and undeserving of their love. So, listen, I don't know about you, but when I was thinking about all this, immediately this verse came to my mind. I want to share it with you. This is James chapter 2. Put in context, yes, of the story, but also your own life, please. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, no actions? It says, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. If you, if you know who Keith Green is, go listen to Sleep in the Light. That's what I hear when I read this scripture. Go in peace, keep warm and well fed. It says, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead, y'all. Listen, Frank DiMaggio said this statement. It's really um, simple, but I think it's powerful. So please hear this. He said this. He said, we must have eyes to see, right? Eyes to see as well as hands to help, or we may never help at all. Let me give you a, a poem real quick that I read when I was studying this. I think speaks pretty clear to all this. It says this. It says, I was hungry, and you formed a humanities club to discuss my hunger. Thank you. So true. Yeah. I was imprisoned, and you crept off quietly to your chapel to pray for my release. Nice. I was naked, and in your mind, you debated the morality of my appearance. What good did that do? I was sick and you knelt and thanked God for your health, but I needed you. I was homeless and you preached to me of the shelter of the love of God. I wish you had taken me home. I was lonely and you left me alone to pray for me. Why didn't you stay? You seem so holy, so close to God, but I'm still very hungry, lonely, cold, and still in pain. Does it matter? That's truth. Yeah? All right. So, listen, it's at, at this point. Y'all hang with me. We're almost done. It's at this point that Jesus tried to, tries to, like, basically just throws a curveball in the story. And what I mean by that is, is that I believe that when Jesus brought the hero in the story, that not only was the lawyer but also the rest of the audience were in absolute shock who he chose to use. Let's look at the verse here, verse 33. It says, but a Samaritan. Can somebody say Samaritan. Now, to make this quick, historically we know that Jews and Samaritans, man, they had a mutual, I'm going to stress that word because it's really the tempo in the air, the moment our country, there's a mutual hate for one another. Yes? So the Jews hated them, and the reason they hated them is because they considered them half Jew and half Gentile. And what that means is this, is basically when the, when the Israelites came into the promised land, right, and they began to basically conquer the land, there was other tribes that remained there, and, and the Jews intermarried with those other tribes. And from those other tribes, they became the Samaritans. I'm giving the simple version here. And so the Jews considered those Samaritans to be semi-foreign and semi-pagan, and they hated them, and because they hated them, Samaritans hated them for that. 
right? So an example of this of how much the Jews hated the Samaritans, I'll give you one that we're all familiar with. In Luke chapter 9, you see Jesus and his disciples, they're rolling through a village in Samaria. And as they're rolling through that, obviously there were some people that didn't treat them too kindly. They didn't welcome Jesus. And so John and James, you think they're walking with Jesus. Here's this atmosphere of love that's around them, right? Like if you picture Linus and his mess going on, picture Jesus and just like a, a mist of love running around, right? And, and as they go, right, like the people obviously didn't receive them, obviously didn't welcome them. So what did John and James ask? Come on, Jesus, let us call down fire from heaven and destroy them. <laughs> the love of God in action, <laughs> right? So I say that, say that that speaks to the hate that they had for one another. All right, so to make this relatable for us today, Let's take a second. I want, what is, I want us to actually think about either a person or a group of people that we just don't like. I give you full permission to take off your super spiritual mask and be honest with yourself. Because we all got them. Can I see some head bobbing? We all got them. Okay? Now, now listen, if... This person may be a person of a different lifestyle that offends you, maybe a political stance, right? It could be a religion different than yours. Maybe it's somebody that hurt you or offended you in the past. Maybe it's somebody that has a personality that rubs you the wrong way. Maybe it's a Yankees fan and you're a diehard Red Sox fan. I don't know, right? Like, like maybe somebody of a different theology. Maybe, is, and I want to hit home here for a second, it could be a complete stranger or it may be, may be the person that you're actually married to. Okay, but listen, whoever it is, like you just don't like them, right? And, and the thought of helping that individual, right? It, it, you know, much less actually loving that individual causes you to feel uh, nauseated to your stomach. Are you with me? Come on, wave your hand down if you got your person or your group of people in mind. The rest of you are lying. That's awesome. Okay, <laughs> that's good. All right, so li listen, I just think this is like if you can think about that person for a moment. It's like you're starting to understand how much these two groups of people hated each other. The reason I say started is because you'd have to multiply what you feel by 800 years to understand what they felt. Because they hated each other for a really long time. All right, so listen, in context, I just think this, generally speaking, if this lawyer was in some sort of trouble, this Samaritan would have been the last person on planet Earth that he would have called for help. And in a normal situation... Uh, that lawyer would have been the last person that a Samaritan would have called for help. Are you seeing this? All right, but watch this in verse 33. We read this. It says, But a Samaritan, a foreigner, who was traveling, came upon him. And it says this, him, the Jewish man. And when he saw him. Because somebody say, saw him. Man, I, I love this piece of scripture. And the reason I love it so much is because it says when he saw him. It didn't say when he saw the, the Jew, when he saw the guy that hated him, when he saw the guy he, he hated, when he saw the guy that was all these issues. No, no, it just said this. When he saw the man, when he saw the guy that was created in the image of God and the likeness of God, when he saw the guy that was created on purpose, for a purpose, by Almighty God, when he saw the man, right, the individual, it says this. He was deeply moved with compassion for him. And what I'm trying to tell you is sometimes we got to look past the stuff we don't agree with and we got to see the man. Yeah. We got to see the woman, right? And so listen, it says he had compassion on him. Now, now I just think this, that, that obviously the Samaritan literally showed up and did what the priest and the Levite refused to do. Where in essence, once again, the priest and the Levite looked over in the ditch and they thought, stinks to be you right now, pal. Right? Samaritan do that. Do that. Why? Because once again, he had compassion on the wounded man. And by compassion, I mean this. 
I love this. In fact, this is really the whole reason why I'm preaching what I'm preaching today, so I could just say this one part, okay? Is, is that literally that this Samaritan was deeply moved and emotionally upset by what he saw, so much so that he was stirred to action. You see, when a person begins to have a genuine compassion, they're unable to sit back and simply go, I feel sorry for that person. See, real compassion says, I got to get up and I got to do something now. In fact, if you're going to walk away today with anything, walk away with these few words, that compassion is love in action. That compassion is love in action. It's the perfect picture of love. And so, listen, you and I don't have to look that far to see what example of compassion looks like. All we have to do is read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see the definition, Jesus, of compassion, right? In fact, we know this, that every time that he saw a group of people and he had compassion on them, that there was a movement of love, that there was a stirring to action. And every time Jesus was stirred to action, things like this happened. Food multiplied. Right? People were risen from the dead, right? Demon-possessed people were delivered, right? That, that people that were sick got healed, right? That he provided teaching for those who were like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, what I mean is this, is that every time compassion was involved in Jesus' life, an action followed that changed the people's lives. In other words, when we have compassion, it says this, that I can't leave you where I found you. I got to do something different. Amen? Now go back to verse 34, please. It says this. It goes on to say that he... The Samaritan went to the Jewish man and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. That's a representation of the Holy Spirit. Pouring oil and wine on them to soothe and disinfect the injuries and put him on his own pack animal. Can somebody say own donkey? That sounds kind of funny say that, right? All right. Here's why I'm saying that, and I'm not saying that we, that we see this all the time, but listen, I've been doing this a long time, and I think there's something in Christians that we, we got to shift in our head because we're missing out on the things that God wants to do. In other words, we sit back and we pray, God, use me, God, use me, God, use me, and then this happens, and what we do instead of getting engaged, we call the church. Um, yeah, uh, Pastor, I, I, I found, yeah, I was on the road to Jericho. Yeah, yeah, oh, I'm good, I'm good, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, I, I was on the road to Jericho, and there was this guy, like, he was in the ditch. Yeah, I was just wondering, could, could you ask Pastor Tommy to get the church donkey, and could you ask him to go pick him up? Yeah, 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 he, he oh, oh, he might need the church checkbook, too, because I think the guy's going to need some help. Yeah, yeah, when you give him the hospital, yeah, I don't, I don't if he had insurance, that, that card's gone. Uh, so, and. <laughs> So I'm thinking we might need to pay out of pocket a little bit to help you. Oh, oh, yeah, I tithe. Yeah, yeah, yeah I tithe. Yeah. God, use me. <laughs> Jesus, help me. All right. But what I want to see is this dude took responsibility himself. Right? It says that he put him on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii, two days' wages from his wallet. And gave them to the innkeeper, said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I return. Are y'all seeing this? Hang in there. Just give me a few more minutes. Hang on, please. I'm almost done. There's not that many more verses left in this thing. See, I think that Jesus wants us to, like, go, oh, what the good Samaritan did, maybe we should do that, too. 
And kind of were some things he did. Obviously, if you notice, he went to where the man was at. He didn't, he didn't go to the other side of the road. He went to where he was at. Listen, he accepted the inconvenience of the moment that he was willing to adjust his schedule. He was on the way somewhere, but he saw that guy. I might need to adjust my schedule because that dude needs help, right? His priority had to change. And I think, once again, here's the Samaritan. He had to use his resources on the behalf of another. At some point, we got to trust Jesus with the resources he's given us. If we begin to trust him, he'll give us more. Amen? That's Bible. And so, once again, I think the thing is the guy saw the need and he met the need. He didn't see the need until somebody else. Right? And nor did he go, oh, oh, oh. well, let, let me, hey, man, are you, are you a Jew or are you a Gentile? Hey, I, I got the ability to help you, but I need, what do you believe? Hey, how'd you vote last time? <laughs> I'm saying it because it's real life, right? So, listen, he didn't get distracted if he thought the man deserved it or not. Right? And so I think even this, man, of all, th- all things, man, he was willing to identify himself with a man who was very different than him and more than likely didn't even like him. Listen to these two verses, please, just kind of on that note. 1 Peter 3, 8 says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate. Somebody say, be compassionate. It says, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called. What were you called to do? You were called to be a carrier and a dispenser of compassion. Yeah. It says you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now watch this, 1 John three seventeen gives the opposite. It says, but whoever has the world's goods or adequate resources and sees his brother in need but has no compassion for him. That literally means that, that uh, the compassion began to stir in his heart. The emotions began to come. But, but he deliberately closed the door. He deliberately put up a barrier. He deliberately hardened his heart. Now watch this next part that it says. It says, when a man or a woman does that, it says, how does the love of God live in him? Listen, I just think this, in spite of what is unfolding in the world around us, that you and I need to be really careful not to let our hearts get hardened. Right? Towards people in the church and people outside the church. We need the oil and the wine of the Holy Spirit to come and soften our heart. And I'm saying that because sometimes our hearts start looking like some crusty old dry leather. It's not flexible and bendable, but we need the oil to rub on our hearts so we can get moldable again, so we have the heart of Jesus for people. Amen? All right, let's wrap this up by looking at what the parable, uh, in the, what the parable, in the parable, what Jesus told the lawyer. Okay? That may or may not came out right. You can translate. All right, here we go. Luke 10. It says, which of these three do you think proved himself a neighbor to the man who encountered the robbers? The priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? And he answered, the one, notice he didn't say the Samaritan, the, the one, right? The one who showed compassion and mercy to him. Then Jesus said these powerful words, go and constantly do the same. Can I just point out today, listen, today you're hearing a sermon about a parable, okay? About the good Samaritan. And I'm going to tell you, like Jesus basically told this guy, notice he didn't say, hey, go think about these things. Hey, go meditate on it. Hey, go, go see if you can rationalize it. See if you can contemplate it. He didn't say do any of those things. He just said, man, you need to go do it. 
You need to go live it. You need to take action, and you need to do it consistently if you want the eternal life that you're seeking. That's what he said. In other words, let me put in our day's term. It's proof, because faith without works is dead. It's proof that we believe if we're people of compassion. Amen? All right, so let me wrap this up by saying this. I think it's pretty neat that when you look at this parable that Jesus showed this guy that his neighbor was defined by those he hoped would never qualify for the title. Y'all with me? I'll say it again. Through this parable, Jesus showed him that his neighbor was defined by those he hoped would never qualify for the title. In other words, those who could never even be called, be worthy of it, right? And I think to me, the beauty of this parable is this, is that our neighbor is really whoever's in our path and whoever needs help, right? That's not limited to those who live near us. Man, it's people, yes, across this region, yes, across this state, yes, across this nation. It's really anybody that needs God's love and God's compassion. That's folks in the church and outside the church, right? And so once again, what's our challenge today? Go and do likewise, right? And here's the neat part is I think that if you notice, let me say this, let me say it this way. I'm like really becoming a preacher now. I've already said I'm like done like three times. Um, <laughs> is, is notice that, you know, the Samaritan probably didn't wake up that morning and go, you know what, I'm going to go look for somebody in a ditch. What's my point is you really don't have to go look for anybody. Wake up, roll out of bed. Some of us just need to look at the person who was laying in the bed beside us. They could use the love of God. They could use some compassion. Maybe it starts with our kids at the dinner table, right? Maybe it is our actual neighbor. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's someone at the grocery store. Man, maybe they're just sitting around you at this moment. What's my point? Is the neighbors all around us. Amen. And we don't have to go looking for it. We just got to open our eyes and be willing to engage. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet, please. Listen, I want to pray about two things today. The first thing I want to pray for is this, is, and I really hadn't given this much thought, but, but as I was praying this morning, um, you know, I was so focused on how do we identify ourselves, if we, do we identify ourselves as a Levite or a priest, or are we the good Samaritan? Like, like, like I, that's who I was focused on, and, and I felt like the Lord was like, hey, nudge, nudge. Like, there could be some people there that identify more with the guy in the ditch. Oh. It's a good thought, Jesus. Right? So so listen, if we can, let's just close our eyes for a second. And the first thing I want to pray for is I just want to pray for somebody. It may be one person. It may be 20 people. I I don't know. but, but, But maybe you have found yourself in a spot that you're like, man, I could use some compassion. It's not about giving at the moment, man. I just need it because I'm barely trying to make it through the day. And I don't know if that's maybe in your marriage. I don't know if that's, uh, you know, kid. Where I, you know, I don't know all the details to that. But, but, but somewhere along the line, man, you just need hope. And, uh, and, and I want you to know that it'd be pretty awesome for somebody to come along. But, but I got a feeling that really, uh, really it's just got to be Jesus. Like it's good if somebody buys you lunch. But, but it'd be better if Jesus would just heal your heart. But the thing is, is let me say this to you. Um, so often, one of the things that hinders us from being healed is we're too busy thinking it's somebody else's fault. In other words, we're blaming somebody else when we need to recognize, man, it's just me. And so let's pray into that, please. 
Father, we come before you, God, in Jesus' name. In fact, if you don't mind, can everybody in the room just kind of stretch out your hands? If it's not you, it's a great time to pray for somebody else. Father, we come to you, God, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we just simply ask, God, whoever is in this place and they feel like that they're the, the Jew that just, man, had the crap kicked out of him and he's laying in the ditch. Lord, we just simply ask that you would come with your oil and with your wine, with the balm of Gilead, God, and that you would begin to heal their hearts. Father, we thank you that you are a restorer, that you are a repairer. God, that there's nothing that you can't fix and there's nothing that you can't make whole. And so, Lord, we simply ask by the power of the name of Jesus that you would come and you'd begin to bring healing, you'd bring restoration, and you'd bring wholeness. Father, we thank you, God, for restoring relationships. Father, we thank you for restoring passion, restoring joy, restoring love, restoring intimacy, restoring purity, restoring wholeness. God, we ask, God, that you would do only what you can do in this moment. Father, we simply say, God, that if the decisions we made land us in the ditch, Father, we thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for forgiveness. And Lord, we simply say, God, forgive us. Please, we repent, God, of our actions. And Lord, we ask, God, once again, that you would come and heal. But Lord, if we're standing today in the spot where we go, no, there's no doubt. It's someone else that hurt me. God, we extend forgiveness and we extend grace and we extend mercy in their direction. And God, we say, forgive them, Jesus. We forgive them. And Lord, we simply ask, God, that as we forgive, the healing would come to us in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for all the rest of us. Us. Lord, the reality is, can we lift our hands high? Like, it's cute if you want a little bit of God. L listen, let's believe Jesus to start our passion. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we simply ask this, that you would soften our hearts today. Once again, God, if our hearts are in that spot where it's like that crusty leather, God, come once again with oil and wine and soften it where our hearts are moldable again, where our hearts are tender, where our hearts are sensitive, where our hearts are willing to hear and to go and to do. Father, we thank you, God, for a fresh baptism of love today in Jesus name Father we ask God that we'd be people that are willing to give generously God and willing to give courageously of ourselves Father we say forgive us God if we have held on too tight to our resources and not released them to you Father we thank you God that our resources are your resources because you gave them to us and so Lord let us be givers in Jesus name Father we ask God that you would help us to do unto others as you would have as we would have them do unto us Father we ask God that we would have that kind of heart. God, when we read that story, obviously the Samaritan treated that man like he would want to be treated. God, help us to have a revelation of that. And Father, I pray, God, out of 1 John where it says clearly, God, that we would not love with mere words, but with truth and in action. God, let our words be stronger. Let our love be stronger than words. Let it have action to it. And lastly, Lord, I'm just asking for every single person in this room, God, that you would open up our eyes to see, God, who our neighbors are. God, open our eyes. God, open our eyes. God, the highways and the byways as we go, open our eyes. God, those we have been hardened towards, God, soften our hearts. And Lord, we're asking, God, that you would help us to be the neighbor that you've called us to be. The neighbor that comes and knocks on the door and says, not, you know, just simply, we're here to give Jesus. We're here to give life. We're here to give hope. We're here to give joy. God, that that's what we carry. So God, let us give it. Father, I thank you for your people. God, I simply ask, God, that you would begin to do whatever change that you need to do in our hearts. God, we say that we love you. God, help us, help us, God, respond to the calling that we have to be a passionate people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. 
Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.